The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the individuals participating in the show. All persons described or mentioned in the podcast should be considered innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. This podcast contains subject matters such as violence and graphic descriptions along with adult language, which may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. On June 30th, 1908, in a very remote part of Siberia, something occurs in the sky that is estimated to have flattened over 80 million trees. There are several theories, but nothing has been proven, but it has gone on record for the largest explosion in human history. You're listening to the Mysterious Brews podcast, and tonight we bring you the case of the Tunguska event. At around 7.17 a.m. on the 30th of June, 1908, near the Podkamanaya Tunguska River in Siberia, Russia, a gigantic explosion took place. The force of the blast flattened around 80 million trees and cleared an area more than 2,100 square kilometres, 800 square miles in size. For many years after this devastating impact, the true cause of the blast remained entirely unknown. The part of Siberia. Welcome to a deep, dark, dank, moist basement somewhere in the bowels of Georgia. Before we get too far, I want to thank the YouTube channel Fascinating Horror for our opening there. Don't want to not give credit where credit is due. So, the good news is we have some a new patrons. We have Miss Alicia Rogers at the $1 shout-out tier. Hey, those dollars add up. Yes, and we have Mr. Chad Winford, $10 oh, Membar. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We had uh, some people order some things from our little Shopify. We've had 10 I whole orders. do that. I still need to do that. <laughs> I Miss, meant to get everybody a hoodie for Christmas, and, but I didn't. Uh, Miss Andrea Rivers did receive her sticker, so bravo, bravo. Now, one thing I wanted to talk about was we have, I always put on spot. If you listen on Spotify, there is a just running question. What do you think about the episode? And sometimes we get, uh, answers most of the time we're that we we don't but miss carla benoit i hope is how you say her last name commented on angela hammond said can i just say i just found you yesterday and oh my god where have you been i love you guys thanks so much for your work nova scotia canada nice yeah butter I, I mean we can build our audience in canada i mean we we got to what number nine in guam or some shit yeah, we were top ten in Guam. <laughs> you gotta love it. It's us and Joe Rogan in Guam. That's right, it. baby. That's right. Now, Angela's disappearance had a lot of comments, most of which were because the episode that was uploaded is not the episode that I edited. So, yeah. Somehow. That. Well, it gets better because I didn't realize somehow the one I uploaded cut off. The deuces. So there was no deuces. So we had the illusion that I did the opening in one take. Yeah, and that, that wasn't it. Believe that. <laughs> and then I'm just like, I'll be, I'll be, I'll be, I'll be, I'll be, and you posted the wrong shit. I posted something. I don't. I still don't know where that's at. Uh, <laughs> now we did. Miss Julia Clifton, OG Miss Clifton, said maybe the kidnapper's friends, assuming he has any, do not like him so much they won't rat him out. Maybe the quote friends are too afraid of this guy to contact authorities. In Angela's been thirty case. years, I know. And then Nick said, "I hope I never find myself in that position. It would be hard to know he may find out, and that you or your family could be in danger too." And then, 
It's been 30 years. Somebody's going to say something. I don't think, I honestly think that they were, he was mistaken about the truck. I don't think there was a bass, bass fish. Either that or he had just got it that day. None of his friends saw it. And as soon as he got home after he murdering that her, bitch off. he scraped it off with a razor blade or something. Yeah. I think that's all on my end. I think you got some. Uh, well, we got several reviews that I need to catch up on. Uh, this one's a five star review. It says, Coach's biggest fan. I'm, I like it already. There you go. Found this podcast after a friend recommended it, and I am hooked. Only about 50 episodes in, but I had to review. Very well researched and so funny without disrespecting the subject of the subject or victims. Love hearing you two banter and bust each other's balls. But I must be honest, I keep coming back for the coach. No offense, Arlo, but he truly is the glue. We know keep it. Up the good work. We know it. That guy, that person is well-spoken. Yeah. That was a very thoughtful and well-researched. Five-star uh, review? Five-star <laughs> review, yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to say it. It's, I mean, they did a good job. <laughs> so... Uh, we have another one. We got three more. I'm going to go ahead and do the hilarious from red one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. 10, 11. You guys are so, are so great, but only gave us three stars. What the hell is that about? Yeah. What's up with that? If we're great, we get five. Yeah. You guys are so great. You're the best podcast ever. Three stars. Three stars. <laughs> That's bullshit. And then we got one. It's like your granddaddy giving you a quarter. Now, don't you go spending that in one place. We got Joel9898, five stars, super entertaining podcast. Great podcast. I've been listening to episodes back-to-back at work for the past few weeks, and every episode is unique and thrilling. Thrilling? That's pretty cool. Yeah. I don't make it thrilling. Sure you do. (laughs) The bickering between you two is hilarious. Also, if you can get your hands on it you guys got to try ice cream man from back east brewery in bloomfield connecticut it's hands down the best ipa i've ever had all right hold on let me write that down because i may have a contact in connecticut what's it called uh uh shit uh ice cream man from back east brewery back east brewery the brewery and then we got a five star from B Duran Five, my favorite podcast. I found these guys about two months ago while researching a case, and fell in love with the way they interact with each other. They're funny but able to be serious when needed, and give great information. Keep up the good work, y'all. Uh, yeah, we are pretty awesome. We do a good job. I think so. I think you do a great job. I think I'm here. <laughs> We've got a um, new listener. In Arkansas, and he's hit us up. God, this freaking mic cord. Every time I barely touch it, it goes bananas. Uh, he gave us a case suggestion. We have put it on the board. Um, it is a lesser known case. We do love the Arkansas lesser known case. Let's see. There's another one. What's it, Kyle? What was the case? I wasn't listening. Imagine that. Well, I got a dog bothering me. Uh, well, if you hadn't asked, I could have told you. Uh, Brandy this Dawn Hutchins. Crack, bro. Like, he, this dog literally is obsessed with shadows. She just can't grasp the concept. Well, I know, I know some kids that can't grasp shadows either. <laughs> we also had a shout-out. I think it was on the Facebook. If you're not a part of that group... Mess or a group board, you're missing out on some high quality stuff in life. That's a high quality means on that thing. It's a high quality H2O. High quality. And of course, we're going to screw this up. I hate Facebook. They've changed it now to Business Suite. I don't want the insights. I just want to get to the damn. <laughs> And now and it's going to... Your old man hates technology. Yeah. And now it's going to lump everything in together. Uh, what is this? What in the hell? 
Okay, well, obviously I found something that we didn't know existed. So we'll have to come back to that. We had a lady, the reason I wanted to say it was we had a lady reach out to us via, I thought it was Facebook. She's in Kentucky. She's a postal worker, and she's like, y'all get me through the day. And I was like, heck yeah. Is this it? No, that's the lady. Uh, Miss Brenda Raymer. I hope it's her. Yes, Miss Brenda Raymer. We are still working on why the sweatshirt does not have deuces on the back. They can't tell me where that went. Oh, my gosh. What's the point? I know. If you don't have deuces on the back, dude. What is this? Oh. Yeah, we keep getting... If you see our page disappear, that means that we got the one notification that was legit. We are starting to get a lot of <laughs> notifications that say they're going to kill our page. All right. Well, anyway, is this it? Nope, that's not it. Dude, I don't know what you're looking at. Well, maybe you can get to the uh, messages from... You're literally talking into the ether. You're right, I am. So, let's get to the most important part of tonight's episode. Not the case that we're doing, but what you witnessed with your two own eyeballs. Hey, I'm not one to say UFO as in aliens, but it was a UFO in the fact that I couldn't identify what I saw. So, I go outside to walk my dogs, and there is a huge aeroplane in the sky what i think is an airplane with light lit up very low flying but not making any noise okay there's an rv in front of me it's off to the right above it the dogs go left so i have to go around that rv and by the time i went around that rv that thing was gone it blinked out of existence like there's no way so i think i saw a UFO. A UFO? A UAP? Yeah. An unidentified aerial phenomenon. Nah, 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 nah. Phenomenon. Nah, 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 nah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I found it. It's LaDonna Turley, and no, she's not oh, a mail God. carrier in Kentucky. She's a mail carrier in Cincinnati. I don't want to, like, throw her under the bus, man. She's a yeah, You definitely listener. don't want to accuse somebody of being from Kentucky if they're not. Well, she's trying to get us some Kentucky beer, so you better watch that tone, mister. Wow. Well, <laughs> I'll take it back. <laughs> All right, let's get to it. Are we done cut up? This is a weird-ass thing, man. We don't – this is this is, this is is an odd case, believe it or not. It's very mysterious. It's one of the mayhem parts of the mysterious brews because there yes. was several mayhems going on. Craziness. It is. All right, so we're talking about the Tunguska event. I tried to say it earlier. Somebody asked me what case we were doing, and I was like, Tunguska. Tunguska. <laughs> Tunguska. I, I couldn't get it out. Tunguska. Now, June 30th, not to, What in God's name is that? That hurts. <laughs> Man, all of a sudden, I had like this high-pitched ringing in my ears. June 30th, 1908, at approximately 7.14 a.m. in central Siberia. That'd be Russia. Which is... Let's just say remote. To say the least. Yeah. I think there was three people in the general vicinity. When they this, claim that three people died in this event. Probably two from a stroke. Amazing because it was like 700 miles wide. Yes. Yes. Now, Mr. Semen, Semenov, a local farmer, stated, quote, the sky split in two. Fire appeared high and wide over the forest. From where the fire was came strong heat. Then the sky shut closed and a strong thump sounded, and I was thrown a few yards. After that such noise came, as if cannons were firing and the earth shook. That's a bad explosion. That's a big one. If it's going to knock you off your feet a couple yards couple yards not feet yards <laughs> for uh, our metric countries that would be several meters he was thrown the tunguska I'm fairly, sure, I'm fairly sure they knew that man i don't know man the tunguska event is what is referred to now and some 
scientists claim that it was, quote, the largest impact of a cosmic body to occur on the Earth during modern human history, end quote. That's a mean dog I just heard. Semenov experienced a raging inferno some 40 miles or 65 kilometers from ground zero. But the effects of the blast rippled as far as northern Europe and Central Asia. They said it registered in Washington, D.C. Yes, there was a ton of seismic um, signatures from this event. That's big, man. Yeah, that's it's, it's, it's got a little size to it. Some people saw massive silvery clouds and brilliant colored sunsets on the horizon, whereas others witnessed luminescent skies at night. People in London could plainly read newsprint at midnight without the help of artificial light. Wait, so midnight in London, but it was like 7 a.m. in Siberia. <laughs> what the hell? That, that can't be right. <laughs> I'm sorry, it just can't. I don't know where you're getting this information, sir, but it's bullshit. Now, geophysical observations placed the source of an anomalous seismic and pressure waves they had recorded in a remote section of Siberia. The epicenter lay close to the river Podkamenaya, Tunguska, an uninhabited area of swampy taiga forest that remains frozen for eight or nine months out of the year. Ever since the Tunguska event, scientists and armchair sleuthers have wondered what caused it. Most people believe that either an asteroid or a comet exploded in the sky above Siberia. However, no one has found fragments of the object or any impact craters in the area. The mystery of what happened is up there with Atlantis and the Bermuda Triangle. I just checked. In London right now, it's 11.45 p.m. In Siberia, it is 2.14 p.m. So do that math real quick. That could have that could be accurate. <laughs> well, they said that the lights lasted several several minutes. I, it may be an hour. I don't know. I've got it at the end of the my notes. So we'll we will table this and come back to it. Anybody that's better at maths than me, go ahead and figure that out. Figure the, out the time difference. <laughs> the study of the Tunguska event is important because prior collisions with comets or asteroids have had major effects on evolution of the Earth. The average frequency of a Tunguska-like asteroid colliding with Earth ranges from 1 in 200 years to 1 in 1,000 years. The Tunguska impact took place in an unpopulated area of Siberia, thank God. If that had it taken place, or I'm sorry, if the Tunguska event was caused by a comet, it would be a unique occurrence. If an asteroid did explode in the Siberian skies that June morning, there you go. Why has no one yet found the fragments? Well, think about this, though. If a comet is going to hit the planet, that's a pretty good place for it to happen. I mean, it leveled 80 million trees, estimated. Flattened them. Yes. I have 775 square miles. Well, think about the timing of it. If if it was another hour, if it was another two hours, we're talking the rotation of the Earth, it could have hit a populated city. Like, could you imagine that, like in like Helsinki or London? London, or, or like if it had been a little bit earlier, it could have hit Moscow. Well, I don't think so. I think it'd still have to be later. Anyway... Moscow. Because Moscow's to the west. No shit, I said earlier, genius. Yeah, it's rotating. Man, shut up. (laughs) You're wrong. Uh, The first expedition to the area occurred some 20 years after the event, so keep that in mind. They knew this thing went off in 1908, 1903, whatever, and then it took them 20 years to get to the area, partially due because of the remoteness, also because there was a little bit of political turmoil in the area of Russia during this time. Yeah, and you kind of don't want to go. It's cold. Siberia is not known to be hospitable. Nah. It was only in 1927 that an expedition led by Leonid Kulik, a meteorite specialist from the Russian Academy of Sciences, reached the site. When Kulik got to the site, he was confronted with some unbelievable scenery. Remarkably, the blast had flattened millions of trees in a broad butterfly-shaped swath covering more than 2,000 square kilometers 
or 775 square miles. Additionally, the tree trunks had fallen in a radial pattern extending out for kilometers from a central area where, quote, telegraph poles, end quote, stand partially burned along with tree stumps. Kulik interpreted this desolate landscape as the aftermath of an impact of an iron meteorite. He then began to search for the resulting crater and or meteorite fragments. He would lead three additional expeditions to the region in the late 1920s and early 1930s. And several others followed, but no one found clear-cut impact craters or pieces of whatever had hit the area. The lack of evidence on site gave rise to various explanations and hypotheses. Hypotheses? Yes, several of them hypotheses. Hypotheses? I don't think that's right. You're right, it's not. I made it up. In 1946, science fiction writer Alexander Kaznetsev explained the puzzling scene by posting a scenario, or I'm sorry, positing a scenario in which an alien spacecraft had exploded in the atmosphere. A w- alien spacecraft? Yes, this would be expounded upon, and the Dropa UFO theory was born. In the Bayakara Yula Mountains live the tiny Dropa people. They are said to be descendants of an extraterrestrial race that crash-landed on Earth many centuries ago. In 1908, their home planet mounted a rescue mission, but unfortunately, that rescue UFO crashed over the harsh Siberian landscape. That's unfortunate. And that is the Dropa UFO theory of the Tunguska event. Within a few years... Aren't the Dropa people the ones that they found that were like they thought may have killed the uh, Dyatlov Pass hikers? Is that the same group? I think you might be right. Oh, I usually am. I know it would be the first time this year that you would be wrong, so I'm not. I'm not really holding my breath on you being wrong. <laughs> Within a few years, the airburst theory gained scientific support, and thereafter limited further speculation. Disintegration of a comic object in the atmosphere between 5 and 10 kilometers above the surface would explain most of the features investigators observed on the ground. Seismic observatory records, together with the dimensions of the devastation, allowed researchers to estimate the energy and the altitude of the blast. The lack of an impact crater also suggested that the object could not have been a sturdy iron meteorite, but a more fragile object, such as a relatively rare stony asteroid or a small comet. Russian scientists favored the latter hypothesis because a comet is composed of dust particles and ice, which would fail to produce an impact crater. Cater. Cater crater. Impact crater. One of more impact craters. You just tell me that impact crater wrench. I'm watching swamp people. Oh, okay, gator up in that impact crater. Son, I used to be hooked on that. Oh, my girlfriend is. She loves that show. Oh man, I gotta. She watches the hell out of it. Having flashbacks. Lilibuff, Lilibuff, shoot him, shoot him, shoot him, shoot him. Another explanation for the tumult in the Tunguska region claimed that the destruction resulted from the rapid combustion of methane gas released from the swampy ground into the air. In 1975, Ari Ben-Menahem, a seismologist at the Wiseman Institute of Science in Rehovot, Israel, analyzed the seismic waves triggered by the Tunguska event and estimated that the energy released by the explosion was between 10 and 15 megatons in magnitude. That's big. You may be asking yourself, how big is that? Well, that's about a thousand Hiroshima bombs. Yeah, that's a lot. Now, they killed three people. That's insane. It is insane. Well, that just goes to prove how desolate that area is. That's what I'm saying. Like, if we're going to get hit by a meteor, that's the place to do it. Because if we would have hit the ocean, we'd have had tsunamis and all kinds of stuff. But hell, just, you know. We just got rid of some trees. <laughs> we got some trees knocked down. Yeah, just knock down 80 million trees in Siberia. <laughs> Astrophysicists have since created numerical simulations of the Tunguska event to try to decide what exactly took place. The airburst of a stony asteroid is the leading interpretation. Models by Christopher 
F. Chiba, then at the NASA Ames Research Center, and his colleagues proposed in 1993 that the asteroid was a few tens of meters in diameter and that it exploded several kilometers above the ground. Comparison of the effects of nuclear test airburst with the flattened pattern of the Tunguska forest seems to confirm this hypothesis. Newer simulations by N.A. Artminev and Avivi Ashevalov, both at the Institute for Dynamics of Geospheres in Moscow, have proposed that an asteroid of similar size vaporized 5 to 10 kilometers above Tunguska. In their model, the resulting fine debris and a downward uh, propagating gaseous jet then dispersed over the wide area in the atmosphere. These simulations do not, however, exclude the possibility that meter-sized fragments may have survived the explosion and could have struck the ground not far from the blast. A local man from the nearest town of Vonavara... (laughs) (laughs) I love picking subjects from other countries just to hear you. I know. I'm killing it. You're the glue, man. That's that's all I know. Oh, yeah. Tells a story that his uncle went out and... Our great-uncle went out and sat on the steps in front of his house. Quote, It was summer, and he wanted a little fresh air. He was sitting there when suddenly there was a sound that grew, and soon it was very loud. It made the earth shake. A rocky comet came down, and there was a loud noise, and it landed 70 kilometers from here with so much force that my great-uncle was thrown several meters from the steps to the fence. End quote. Now, the nomadic reindeer herders, the Evink... Evink, hell, I don't know. I screwed this one up. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. The Evink. Right the Evink. Were the original people of Tunguska. The Evink explained it as Ashma Agde, their thunder god who was summoned to destroy an enemy tribe. Furious at being misused, Agde sent iron birds against the Invic that shot lightning bolts that split the earth. The Invink will still not speak of the Tunguska event. We now have the John Stone theory. John Anfino Gunolf discovered a bizarre stone in 1972. Now, this one's got a little bit of uh, little bit of legs to it. I like this one. All right, let's hear it. The stone's crystalline structure could only have been formed deep underground, and there is no connection to the basalt stones found throughout the region. The stone has been described as a, quote, errant block, something that a retreating glacier would have carried and deposited as it melted. Since the Tunguska area remains frozen nine months of the year, a rock like the Johnstone could not, or I'm sorry, could only have made its way to the area from a great explosion. Okay, I'm going to do my best not to pronounce the way that I want to pronounce this man's name. Wolfgang Kunt, and it is spelt like the other, but with a K. So K U N T. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Dude, you know it's you know it is you pronounce it the way you're supposed to pronounce it. Come on. Man. <laughs> I don't want Wolfgang to be pissed because he lives in Western Germany. Yeah, they don't. Yeah, he's also an astrophysicist. Side note: uh, Did you? It's been all over social media. Is the only reason I've seen it is. Uh, they're retelling when Robin Williams went on the German Today show and they were like, "Why do you, Mr. Williams, why do you not think we have funny people in Germany? And he goes, well, maybe did you ever think that you might have killed all the funny people off? Oh. And they went straight to a commercial break and he was gone like Jimmy the Greek. <laughs> oh, Jimmy the Greek. Dang. That's a reference right there. <laughs> uh, no, I love the – there's one that's a German comedian – and he's like leading the chants. He's like, hip, hip, hooray. Hip, hip, the whole crowd, hooray. And then he's like, ziggy, zaggy, ziggy, zaggy. Like, oi, oi, oi. And he goes, zig. And they all hail. He's like, oh. <laughs> oh, gotcha. <laughs> well, Mr. Kunt is an astrophysicist who lives in <laughs> Western Germany in the volcanic landscape called the Eiffel. A few years ago, he came up with a fringe hypothesis that turned the Tunguska debate on its head. 
He believes that the Johnstone is evidence of an earthbound cause for the Tunguska blast. Mr. Kuhn has abandoned his own field of astrophysics to commit himself to the volcano theory. Like his home, the Eiffel, there are plenty of ponds and small lakes in Tunguska. There are also drier areas where you can sink in deep like dry bogs in the Eiffel. The landscape convinced him right away that we must be dealing with a volcanic region. Wolfgang's theory is based on the volcanic origins of the Tunguska region. He believes that a hundred years ago, molten gases were expelled through volcanic funnels from deep inside the earth. If you look at a cross-section of the earth, it shows that the outside or outside the solid inner core is the outer core and a layer of molten magma and gases reside there. Mr. Kuhn believes that the superheated magma and gases forced their way through the earth's mantle by subterranean volcanoes. For thousands of years, these ascending columns of magma were held back by a thick layer of basalt. But in June 1908, under immense pressure, the gas burst through several kilometers of solid basalt rock. It's basalt? Yes. What about the pepper? <laughs> <laughs> I, need the dr- I need the drum thing. <laughs> Killing me there, cracky. That's why, that's, why, that's why they listen, man. You know, they only listen for me. Cause that's those are the jokes, man. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. <laughs> I made myself laugh. That's all that matters. The molten magma remained beneath the basalt, and only the gas steamed upwards. A colossal gas storm raged over the Tunguska region, traveling faster than the speed of sound. The gas reached a height of two hundred kilometers. The static electricity that resulted ignited the explosive mix of methane and oxygen. It was not a single event, but a storm lasting a quarter of an hour. For those of you that don't know what a quarter of an hour is, just take that 60 minutes, cut it in force, and you get 15 minutes. Wait, hold on. Let me open my calculator. That math works, bud. Yeah, that worked out. That's what I got, too. <laughs> Excellent. We can't figure out the time it would have hit Moscow or Helsinki, but we can figure that one out. All the eyewitnesses clearly conveyed that there was a series of loud events, one after another, and that the whole phenomenon, in fact, lasted up to one hour. Dude. The fact that the event lasted an hour is a serious argument against the meteorite theory. So there's a lot of strange things that happen in the area of the Tunguska region. About 17 or 18 kilometers from what is called the Pristine Camp or on the Kulik Road in the direction of Vanavara, there's a place called Idle Mountain. And strange things happen there, like electronic quartz watches stop working. The display goes out. However, if you have the old mechanical watch that you wind, it keeps on ticking like a Timex. There have also been several cases of mass psychosis at Idle Mountain. People seem to have a nervous collapse, and they start getting very, very angry the longer they stay at the mountain. Another strange area in the region is called Mount Farrington. Here, compass needles flip, north becomes south, east becomes west. You can't use a compass or GPS near Farrington. The phenomenon of the crazy compass turns out to be from the stone on the mountain, which is highly magnetic. This is seen in other areas around the world, with the exception that Mount Farrington just happens to be near the epicenter of the Tunguska event. Now, people have long said that plants and trees grow exceptionally fast in the Tunguska area. According to local people, the soil of Tunguska is an extremely effective fertilizer. Soviet scientists in the atomic age began to study the mutations in the flora and the fauna in the region. And in the 1950s, they discovered that the trees had broader annual rings since the year of the explosion, 1908, than it did in the years prior. A genetic mutation in the growth of pine needles is also seen. The needles of the pristine, or I'm sorry, priest iron pine is... The what? Priest iron pine. Priest iron pine. Yeah, it was hard for me to type that out. I had to spell it phonetically. Now, these pines usually grow their needles in even numbers of two, four, yada, yada, yada. But the ones near Tunguska, 
grow their needles in odd numbers, like three, five, or seven. Very strange, uh, very strange happenings in the needles. Now, Soviet scientists measured the local tree rings, burned them, and then analyzed the ashes. They couldn't find any clear evidence of a nuclear explosion or large-scale radioactive damage, but that does not discourage the nuclear disaster fans among the Tunguska theorists. But, I mean, we didn't have that technology then. I mean, what caused this nuclear explosion? I'm glad you asked, because a fringe theory is that at the beginning of the 20th century... A secret military collaboration between the Russian Tsar and his cousin, the Prussian Kaiser, states that they developed an enormously powerful atom bomb. Unfortunately, the bomb's developers, along with their blueprints and the whole of Tunguska, went up in the very first test explosion. The Russian Tsar and the Prussian Kaiser were soon in no position to commission any further experiments. Well, if that was the experiment, it was a resounding success considering how large that explosion was. <laughs> it's like the old cartoon where they blow it up and they singe their eyebrows and they're, yep, that'll work. And then they never do it again. Yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, it's unfathomable, fathomable, fathomable. I can't say, I can't talk. Tonight. Unfathomable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the, the immensity of this explosion. It's just insanity. It registered on the Richter scale in Washington, D.C. That's insane. It shook the earth. To its core. (laughs) It shook the whole earth and didn't leave a mark. No crater. Nine. Nine crater we've found. In late 2007, Mark Boslow and his team of Sandia National Laboratory scientists concluded that the Tunguska event may have been caused by a much smaller object than earlier estimates had suggested. Their supercomputer simulation showed that the mass of the falling cosmic body turned into an expanding jet of high-temperature gas traveling at supersonic speeds. The model also indicated that the object was first compressed by the increasing resistance of the Earth's atmosphere. As the descending body penetrated deeper, air resistance probably caused it to explode in an airburst with a strong flow of heated gas that was carried downward by its tremendous momentum. Because the fireball would have transported additional energy toward the surface, what scientists had thought to be an explosion between 10 and 20 megatons was more likely only 3 to 5 megatons, according to Boslow. All this simulation work only strengthened the need for more field work at the Tunguska site. Scientific America said, hold my beer, and <laughs> said, and they sent Dr. Longo to the Tunguska area in 1991. He was searching for microparticles from the explosion that might have been trapped in the tree resin. Soon, him and his scientists stumbled upon two ambiguous papers by Russian scientists V.A. Koshlev and K.P. Forensky. They reported their discovery of a small body of water named Lake Cheko, roughly eight kilometers from the suspected epicenter of the Tunguska event. In 1960, Kozlev speculated that Lake Cheko might be an impact crater, but Florensky rejected that idea and said, you're full of shit. And he said, no, that the lake was older than the Tunguska event based on having found loose sediments at thick as seven meters below the bottom of the lake. Word that a lake sat close to ground zero piqued the scientific scientific community's interest. An expedition was mounted to the lake because lake bottom sediments can store a detailed record of events that occurred in the surrounding region. The hope was to find in the lake sediments clues to unravel what happened in Tunguska, as if the lake was the black box of the crashed airliner Tunguska. A few la- a few years later, I just a- love how animated you are. You're, you're making the best of this. I may have had way too much caffeine between the hours of four and six. Yeah, that's that's a given. Yeah. A few years I later, mean, a group. Ex- my coworkers usually are like, "What's that humming sound?" I'm like, what? Are you- I don't hear any humming. <laughs> oh God, it's my heart. <laughs> uh. So fast forward a couple years. 
we got a group expedition with Moscow State University and Donsk State University in Russia with the assistance of former cosmonaut Gorgi Gretchko. A team makes their way to the region. Now, to say that this was a janky expedition is an understatement. I'm going to give you the Reader's Digest version, but basically they get on the transport plane to carry the team and some of the equipment to a military base near Moscow. Then they have to fly overnight to Krasnodarsk in central Siberia. Yeah, it's only in there once. You only get it once. There, they transferred the equipment and several scientists into a huge MI-26 heavy lift helicopter. I just keep thinking of like Rambo and this stuff. They're like over there kicking the tires like Top Gun. Oh my God, it's an F-14 Tomcat. Can we get it started? <laughs> the trip took nearly six hours before there were boots on the ground in Tunguska. With the ground being so soft for a landing, the equipment and the scientist had to be pushed out of the aircraft. They had to take the leap into the bog. I'm not. Uh, I'm not that dedicated. Nope. No, I'm. Look, once my job. Once we get past the transport plane, and then they're like, "Hey, we can take some of you in this janky ass helicopter, and then we'll come back and get the rest of you." And I'm like, "No, I'm good, bro. I'm good." Now, it took the scientists two full days to organize the camp, probably dig their shit out of the mud from where they pushed it out of the helicopter, assemble a survey boat, test the equipment. Then they started using acoustic echo sounders, a magnetometer, sub-bottom acoustic profilers, a ground-penetrating radar device, devices to recover sediment cores, an underwater television camera, and a set of GPS receivers to enable study teams to track their position with a resolution of less than a meter. For two weeks after that, the group surveyed the lake from the boat. The scientists focused on exploring the sedimentation and structure of the lake's bottom. With his ground-penetrating radar, Michel Pippin, a geophysicist at the University of Trieste, gradually mapped the subsurface structures some three or four meters deep below the 500-meter shore perimeter. Eugene Kolishnikov, a geochemist at Moscow State, and his colleagues excavated trenches in the peat deposits near the lake. Kolishnikov's team searched the peat layers for chemical markers of the event. At that time, or I'm sorry, at the same time, Italian scientists from Bologna University, Romano Serra. Bologna. 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 Yeah, I cut that red skin off of it over there. <laughs> and Valeri Nesvitalio of Tomsk State collected core samples from nearby tree trunks to study possible anomalies in the tree ring patterns. Meanwhile, the old janky helicopter that brought them to the site is circling the area, taking aerial ph- photographers' photographs so that they could compare them with those from the Kulik expedition some 60 years before. Now, the assumption was the lake bottom sediments might contain markers of the event. After completing just a few runs across the lake with their high-resolution acoustic profiler, it became clear that the sediments blanking the lake's bottom were more than 10 meters thick. Some sediment particles had been transported to the lake by winds, but most came by the way of an inflow of the Little Kimchu River that fed Lake Chaco. The scientists estimated the sediment deposition in a small body of water that stays frozen for most of the year would probably not exceed a few centimeters a year. So such a thick sediment layer implies that the lake existed before the Tunguska event in 1908. On the other hand, the more they profiled the lake bottom, the more perplexed they became. It appeared that the lake, which is about 50 meters deep or 165 feet, in the middle has a steep or has steep slopes and the lake is actually shaped like a funnel or an inverted cone, a structure that is difficult to explain in nature. If the lake were thousands of years old, it would probably have a flat bottom, the result of fine sediments gradually filling it up. They also found it hard to account for the funnel shape using typical erosion deposition processes that occur when a small river winds across a relatively flat landscape. So fast forward, and they get back to Italy, and three scientists complete Looking over the data, they process all of it. They also confirm that, yes, 
Lake Chaco's bottom is significantly di- different from those of other Siberian lakes, which typically have flat bottoms. Uh, the funnel-like shape of Lake Chaco, however, resembles those of known impact craters of similar size. Oh, so maybe there is an actual impact. Right. Whoa. So the maybe idea. The, maybe it was made of ice and it hit the earth and melted and that's the lake. I like where your head's at. I just solved it, man. Somebody call. I'm just going to stop talking now. I mean, hell, I can't go any further. We're done. (laughs) See you next week, boys and girls. I got it. Nailed it. (laughs) Surprise, motherfucker. (laughs) Because the idea that the Lake Checo might fill an impact crater became more attractive as they started looking at the data. But if the lake is indeed a crater excavated by a fragment of the Tunguska cosmic body, it cannot have been formed earlier than 1908. So they're in a conundrum. They've got soil samples that says this lake is way older, like thousands of years older, but the shape of the lake points in the direction that it is not. So the scientists hunted for evidence that the small lake existed before the event. Reliable pre-1908 maps of this region of Siberia are not as easy to come by. No. But... They did find a Tsarist military map from 1883, and it fails to show the lake. So testimony by local Avink natives also asserts that a lake was produced by the explosion. But if the lake was not formed before 1908, how can you explain the thickness of the deposits carpeting its floor? The seismic reflection data revealed two distinct zones in the lake deposits, a thin, roughly meter-thick upper level of laminated fine sediments typical of quiet deposition overlying a lower region of non-stratified chaotic deposits. A recent study by two Italian paleobotanists, Carla Alberta Ascorsi of the University of Modena and Luigi Floriani of the University of Bologna, however, has shown... That whereas the upper sediment layers contain abundant evidence of aquatic plants, these signs are totally absent in the lower deposits that are very chaotic, which hold plentiful quantities of pollen from the forest trees. So it looks like the lake's true deposits are only about a a meter thick, a feature that is compatible with a hypothesis that hypothesizes... (laughs) A young age for the lake. It sounds like a forest seems to have grown on wet ground before the lake formed. The expedition team also observed the half-buried remains of tree trunks in the deeper part of the lake via underwater video. The high-frequency acoustic waves reflected back from the same zone showed a characteristic, quote, hairy pattern that could have resulted from the presence of of the remains of the trunks and branches. Perhaps these results are a trace of the forest obliterated by the impact. So let me dissect that for you. What they're saying is they've got this tundra out there and a forest had grown on top of it and it was being, it was really squishy, but it was, I guess, not squishy enough that trees couldn't grow on it. Whatever happened so hit semi squishy. Semi squishy. Semi squishy. Semi squishy. So whatever hit basically bore the trees into the earth and created this lake. To explain the lower disordered deposits, imagine a meteor or a comet hitting soggy ground overlying a layer of permafrost several tens of meters thick. The impact of this object's kinetic energy is transformed into heat, which melts the permafrost, releasing methane and water vapor and expanding the size of the resulting crater by as much as 25%. At the same time, the impact would have plastered pre-existing river and swamp deposits onto the flanks of the impact crater, where they would later be imaged as disordered deposits in the acoustic echo profiles. A careful analysis of the seismic reflection profiles obtained across the lake have revealed several meters below the deepest point at the center a strong acoustic reflector, probably the echo of a dense meteor, I'm sorry, meter-sized rocky object. This result is supported by the finding of a small magnetic anomaly above the same spot during a magnetometer survey. 
are these indicators of a meteor fragment at Tanguska? I think so, yes. Possible. Now, all of the theories and models cannot take into account the strange light phenomena connected to Tunguska. From Moscow to London for three nights after the 30th of June, 1908, people could read their newspapers outside at midnight. A meteorite explosion could uh, not have caused... On, that can't be true. That can't be true. It's all in the papers. They're not going to lie in the papers. The papers they were reading... I guess, hell, I don't know. But anyway, basically, if this, even if it's one night, you're, you have to throw out the meteorite explosion. Because there's nothing that could have happened that would make night as bright as day all across Europe. Now, going back to Mr. Wolfgang Kunt, he states that he believes this phenomena can only be explained by light volcanic gases. For the light phenomenon, you need particles in the high atmosphere. No comet dust or asteroid dust can remain up that high. There, you get light ice crystals like snow that can be carried up there by hydrogen, helium, and methane. They can stay up there for days. So, we're back to a subterranean volcanic explosion. Whatever your hypothesis is, is... Most of the scientific data out there you can find will basically shit on your theory. So either they did find a magnetic solid object at the bottom of that Lake Checo and somebody needs to go out there and dig it up or they didn't and we're still at square one. But Coach seems to think the Funnel Lake and the splash of the sediments <laughs> has caused the Tunguska event. I think it makes sense. I mean, what else could it be? The only other thing out there that makes sense is that uh, Wolfgang Kuntz. Um, it's not a nuclear explosion. No, no, no. Basically, it's either a subterranean volcanic explosion that blew shit up through the air and then it rained back down. Or it's a meteorite. I don't think it was a comet. Because a comet, I mean, not. I'm not saying it couldn't be, mm. but I think you have a better chance at it being a meteorite or a subterranean event that spewed methane and exploded that way. Because they said that there was like successive reports explosion. But anyway, ladies and gentlemen, that is the. Tunguska event. You didn't even play it all. You played like a two seconds of it. What, what the hell, man? I don't want us to get sued there, bub. You're the worst DJ. You're killing me, Smalls. <laughs> we'll do it live. Okay. We'll, no. we'll do it live. Fuck it. Do it live. I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live. Fuck it. We'll do it live. All right. So we've shit all over every theory in there. So let us know what you think happened in Tunguska. I'm just glad I wasn't around to see it. Amen. That's how you get a permanent shadow. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. But what do you think? I mean, what do you think it was? Like, I'm kind of stuck on either it was a meteorite because of that the shape of that lake and how it the sediment from what they think is the permafrost has been blown up the sides of that funnel shape. Or it's like the old boy in Germany said, and there was a huge methane explosion that blew through the basalt and then all that static electricity that ex, that's in the atmosphere anyway from the thunderstorms of the ash up there ignited methane closer to the ground. And blew the shit out of the trees. Dude, I mean, 80 million trees. 700-something miles. That's a hell of a methane explosion. Yes, and people need to keep in mind that when this happened, right after it happened, and the reason it took 20 years to get there is because there was this little thing called the Russian Revolution where they killed the Tsar. Yeah, they were busy. They were just a little bit busy. That's my favorite thing when I taught history was to ruin, like, the perception of some of the teenage girls. Because, you know, they grew up in Disney movies. Zarina. And I'm like, 
Selena? Zarina. Zarina. I, I was like, so, the Mexican singer? Anyway, you bring up Anastasia. Like, hey, any of you guys seen Anastasia? And they're like, oh, yeah, I've seen it. It's all bullshit. And I'm like, it's bullshit. In reality, she was shot in the back of the head, same as her parents. Like, oh. And they buried her in an unmarked grave in Siberia. Yeah. It's very sad. It is very sad. Have you heard the conspiracy theory about that one? That she lived? Yeah, her they and... Made a Disney movie about it. Her and another one lived because That's they had... That's what we were talking about. They sewed jewels we, from the crown into their... Uh, clothing because they thought they were just going to be excommunicated to like Siberia, so they were going to use the jewels as money. And when they start, they opened fire by the grace of God. Anastasia and one of her sisters, I think, uh, were spared by the bullets hitting the jewels, and somehow they were taken out of there. But there's a whole conspiracy rabbit hole about that, anyway. Uh, what do you have as a recommendation? Uh, that's a good question. All right, well, I got one for you. It's called Weaponize. It is a pood. Oh, I got one. Go ahead. It is a podcast that George Knapp and Jeremy Corbell do, and you can watch them on their YouTube channel because they're a little bit more uh, wealthy than us. But they tackle the latest, greatest UFOs and UAP sightings like the jellyfish UFO. They got a whole episode on that. They have, I didn't, I've never heard of this one, but the um, 22 Palms incident, which I did not know existed. And that's a damn rabbit hole. I don't even know what that is. Yeah, it's a whole 22 Palms. There's a whole Marine division that saw basically something similar to the Phoenix Lights. And slowly but surely they're coming out and once they get out of the military and they're saying, yeah, that shit happened and we witnessed it. Uh, there is some cell phone footage from a Quanzi hut outside of that. Um, there is also in that jellyfish UFO episode, Corbell talks about how people have shit on him because he's partnered with tmz productions to get some of these documentaries out there instead of having to ground source crowdsource the funding like he did for area bob lazar speaking of which i had an epiphany the other day and i didn't realize this till i saw a tiktok video about it where the guy explained it do you know why bob lazar was let go from area 51 it was not because he was taking people out there to see the Ships, they let his ass go like two weeks before he took uh, the Lear guy out there to see it. They just, out of the blue, told him, you're done, pack your shit, go home, that's it. And he's like, what the fuck? I've just been playing with, you know, alien technology. Well, they had him so surveilled, they had his phones tapped, and of course he signed off on all of this, but... The military figured out his wife was having an affair. Oh, wow. And so they were afraid that she would use that as leverage against him, and then he would in turn sell his secret. So they just fired his ass. So the military is the one to oh, blame. He got, fired. He, got his, he got fired because his wife was cheating. Basically, yes. That is exactly. And then, here's the thing. If the military had just told him, he would have never divulged any of the secrets of S4, Area 51, any of that. But they were like, wow. no, fuck it, you're done. And so he's like, well, hell, nobody's told me why, so I'm going to take some people out there and show them what I've been seeing. And then he had, and the rest is history. But anyway, all right, so that was my recommendation. It's called Weaponized. You can see it on YouTube, or you can listen to it, listening to it on the Apple Podcast or Stitcher or wherever you listen to podcasts. Okay. What's your recommendation there, bub? I'm going to recommend a show, a limited series on the Hulu called Super Hot. And it's just about people that eat super hot peppers in that whole world. Do they Very have any stomach lining? 
man. There's this one woman. She's like won like almost a hundred competitions. She's never been beaten, and but she looks so miserable when she's eating these things. I bet so. I mean, like she looks like she is literally dying in front of us, but she keeps on eating them. I will say, um, since the COVID, I've been taking those flu bombs where you take the juice of a lemon, a tablespoon of honey. If you can take it, a half a teaspoon of cayenne, I'm up to a quarter teaspoon. And then freshly grated ginger in like six ounces of warm water and you drink the shit. Oh, and a whole clove of garlic diced up. Strain that stuff or you can kill a vampire at 100 yards. But anyway, you drink it and it cuts all the mucus and shit out of your chest. And so once you get over the flu, because you can drink it three times a day, once you get over the flu, you can take it once a day during cold season to stay healthy. So I have. But I can tell you this. My tolerance for heat of the cayenne variety has greatly expounded since taking that. And crazy thing, I've had bad stomach acid problems my whole life. Those went away, too. It's a miracle drug. I don't know about a miracle drug, but the COVID so far has gotten me off my stomach medicine, which I was on for like 40 years, and my anxiety medicine right now. So if you see a small nuclear mushroom cloud in northwest Georgia, you'll know the anxiety came back. <laughs> and he burned them to the ground. <laughs> there you go. All right, Coach, you got anything else for the lovely listeners out in podcast land? Brother, you know I don't. All right, y'all pay attention because here it comes. Uh, deuces. <laughs> <laughs>